Nice. All right. I think we're good. We're, we're in business. Bongo, bango, Billy. All right. So enough about Willy Wonka. It's never enough about Willy Wonka. Let's no. Let's get to the real sugar. <laughs> the sugar of life. Importing yeah, cacao. Ooh, you know. Importing cacao. I, I wonder why is cacao such a I, I understand like the components of the heart opening piece, but I've noticed that like in in these spiritual groups that we've been attracted to, and I say we, I'm talking about me and Garisa, uh, sh- there's always every time we go to this event or a, a new event about spiritual being, uh, there's always a cacao ceremony. There's always like this cacao heart opening start beginning thing to like get everybody like connected and vibed out what is it like what i don't really understand it too much because i don't truly enjoy the taste of cacao like by itself but it's not i I realize not about the taste it's like about what it does and the process so why is it though like i don't know i don't know why i just I, i i think that for me it's like it's about getting out of my head and get you know putting you know strength getting into the heart because uh, i think that's a struggle for a lot of people is getting out of the head letting go because the i mean for me the chatter up here is always the thing that keeps me mm-hmm. from feeling whatever the experience is you know connecting with people having the um but i don't know how or why scott <laughs> cacao is good for that just you know there's something about a little sleigh ride and some hot cocoa. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's cold outside. It's like warm inside, and people like to sit back with some hot cocoa. Mm-hmm. They used to have, you know, colleges sitting around with hot cocoa, but now it's a cacao ceremony. Same that thing. That's the same sense. stuff. It's that, like, for anybody out there who hasn't been through a cacao ceremony, if they've ever had hot cocoa and they like that warm feeling, mm-hmm. it kind of quiets the mind. And then you're like, and you have like fond memories of sitting around with people with hot cocoa, that feeling. Yeah. All you have to do is like make, you know, you, you tend to that in an intentional sacramental way. Oh, I love people. I love these people. These are beautiful people I have around me. You know, look at my wife, look at my daughter, you know, look at my friends. I never thought, you know, something popped out to me what you were talking about i think there's also the ritual of it and like in that history those pleasant memories and we we, you know collectively we've kind of like built we always do that we build these things around uh you know an idea like it's uh there's all that history there there's all the um i know my kids have a really special memory about hot cocoa you know, we talk about it all the time. It comes up because it's like, oh, yeah, and then we got hot cocoa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> it wasn't a cacao ceremony, but it was, you know, it was this night we were out camping and we went out in this, uh, in my little uh, Pathfinder and all three of us were sleeping in the back of it and it was super cold and we were super uncomfortable. I didn't sleep at all. And uh, we had eaten a bunch of crappy snacks. Like, I, Like our food for the trip was just like, stuff that comes in a box or a bag like it was like the most thrown together thing ever like totally like a dad like last (laughs) minute like you know Mm -hmm. there was clearly no you know i do and uh and so we left in the middle of the night because i was like dying i was like so cold the kids were passed out but we left in the middle of the night and then we got hot cocoa on the way home and then it ended up like it ended up being like the trip was about that 
thing. <laughs> you know, it was about the getting up in the middle of the night, waking the kids up and driving back and having hot cocoa. And then it was like, that was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, but the entire other camping experience. Yeah. It was kind of crazy. I mean, I don't know. Kids are so, uh, it's easy for them to have a good time, you know, stuff like that. Just get them into a different place. I've got memories like that, you know, that or it's uh, the thing you remember isn't the thing that you're doing, you know? Yeah. Uh, <coughs> uh, as I guess it turns out that Americans have been having hot, they've been having cacao ceremonies for generations. They just haven't known it, you know? Yeah. And so you like, you, but you take the thing, you take that, like there's a certain mood associated with it, and then you agglutinate ideas or sentimentality perhaps around, you know, like things get, there are stories that get pressed to it. Um, it can get, you know, sort of bought and sold. But at the heart of it, like, if you want to, like, delve into some, like, into some magic, quiet the mind. Just moments of silence. And people, like, step into their heart. It doesn't matter where it is. Like you were saying, the whole thing, it was just, like, it was, um, it was a kind of a by-the-seat-of-the-pants dad event, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but then you you take you take moment you take silence where people are like they drop into their hearts and then that memory like will persist right maybe mm-hmm. your kids are talking about that you know twenty years from now I'm like uh, taking their kids out for hot cocoa having their I'm using air quotes having their like cacao ceremony you know? yeah yeah if uh, if anybody's noticed so far this calming soothing new voice here we've got a special very special guest today we got scott (laughs) scott uh this is it's kind of a in the middle of the interview introduction but (laughs) you know you've you've introduced your your vibe and your soul very very uh lovely so uh we got Scott on here nate thanks thanks, christian by the way yeah you're very welcome very welcome man yeah, guys, this is Scott. <laughs> this guy's not. This just is, it's the same as when I'm, I'm like, you know, meeting people in normal data. I'm like the worst at introducing. Yeah. And like, I'm just like, <laughs> like you, everyone knows everyone yeah. ever, right? Like, I don't know anybody's names, but I know, you know, I've seen your face before. Yeah, um, I used to organize poetry readings. And one of the things I like to collect were the, the introductions of these poets She'd have a famous poet to come to town, and then somebody from, let's say, the university would step up, and they would introduce the poet. And the introductions were so over the top. <laughs> they were just <laughs> so, like, aggrandizing. Just accolade like, upon accolade oh, upon accolade glowing, upon achievement. Just, you know, like, who is this human being <laughs> we are about to listen to? Oh, my God. You know? I thought that was the best part. And then after that, it was it was essentially downhill from there. Like, yeah. Oh, was it like, a letdown? No, complete always. <laughs> oh, okay. You know that? Well, that, we're going to go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to start at the bottom and... We're going to work our way uphill. Yeah, that's how it goes. You know, we got That phrase is always funny. I I think about that every now and then. It's like, it's it's downhill from here. It's uphill from here. It's like, well, is it easier to go downhill? Because things seem smoother going downhill. But sometimes, just like the way you explained it, it's like it's da- it was downhill from there, hinting that it was more of like a uh, whatever kind of experience rather than a like pleasurable, nice experience. So going uphill, it was uphill from there. Does that make... That's uh, in the movie uh, Due Date. Uh 
I've Zach Galifianakis, there's a, a part where that, you know, where he says, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is like correcting him. He's like, no, you don't say that. You say it's, it's, it's all, it's downhill from here. And he's like, he's like, nobody wants to be at the bottom. You want to be at the top. What are you talking about? I don't remember exactly how it's said, but it's pretty funny. I do it's, love it. It's that talking movie. exactly kind of about what yeah. you just said. <laughs> um, yeah, that's when the lights, you know, I was thinking that that's when the light went off. I mean, on, I mean, yeah. off. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Scott's a very special guest because uh, from what I know of Scott, uh, he's involved with the church, does ayahuasca ceremonies, has a really cool yurt in the middle of a beautiful... He's our fearless leader. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hairless. Hairless leader. Yeah. Fearless, hairless leader. <laughs> Helps. Uh, he does all the... Uh, makes it happen it's really beautiful yeah he's uh put everything together uh helped us um have a beautiful space and facilitates the magical medicine of ayahuasca for uh all kinds of new people and i've just uh, i'm so glad he's here i'm like really uh special to me like so scott why did you get into the work that you're into man like it's it I always, I didn't have the opportunity for the only other shaman I've ever uh, experienced uh, ayahuasca related activities. But why'd you get into the work that you got into? Yeah, well, and, you know, just for, for starters, a, a while back, like, what are we going to call ourselves? You know, so I, I prefer the, the term facilitator. Like facilitator. Or whole, whole crew. Um, mainly because the term is just as, as boring as you could, you know, conceive of a, like, oh, facilitator. Like there's like there's no panache to that at all, uh, and so for the people that come in ceremony, that essentially, I'm a let's say I'm a doorman, so I'll hold the door for people, and then the healing for for each individual that comes, it's in their hands, right? So there's not some like shaman who's coming to like lay his hands on them, turn into a crow, and then heal them of their disease. You know, it's it's uh, it's having a crew of facilitators around them uh, to essentially support their intention for coming into ceremony, uh, and so that that has like this that has a functional aspect to it, and so that everything we do is like like we cut the lapels off our suits, right? and it's like most everything that's in ceremony. It's kind of functional. And when I got when I got into it, the first time I was introduced to it, it was back, this was 2009. It was in the era where you had to be introduced and then kind of approved. You had to get the nod. So you, uh, had, to have a, you had to have a friend. And then um, your friend would, would vouch for you with the group, and then they would contact you. Uh, that's, you know, once upon a time, that's how I worked. And, but, you know, this was... When I got started, I had really no idea about ayahuasca. It's like a vague, I knew it was a psychotropic out of the Amazon. Beyond that, not too much. Did I do my homework? Nope. <laughs> and um, I was... I didn't know there was homework. Y yeah. Damn, I didn't even know. I, I, <laughs> knew, right? so I Wait, you guys had homework? <laughs> I guess it's okay. I did no background research and like really, you know, and... Uh, when I first uh, 
moved to Tucson. I was looking for a guy named Carlos Castaneda, who's this anthropologist, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And then he finally, well, how we exited is another story. But he would hang out with this Yaki, as, the, as he purported and documented in his, in his books, whether that's true or not. Some people say it's not true at all. He hung out with this guy, uh, Don Juan Matas, who's a Yaki Indian shaman. And bit by bit, this anthropologist, Carlos Castaneda, got drawn into this world. First, he was an anthropologist examining it, and eventually he was found himself turning into a crow, walking through walls and like being baffled by what he's experiencing, strange, stepping into a whole new cognitive frame and trying to, attempting as best he could to document that way so he wrote a series of books I read these books I was flipping fascinated and I was looking for the guy I used to live back east on, in uh, Boston so I thought okay I'm going to go find Carlos Castaneda so I headed out to Tucson to find him because all of his books are set in the snoring desert and within a month after moving out here I found him but he was in LA he was giving, <laughs> he was giving workshops so I went to L.A. for one of his workshops. I started doing these, these workshops. And he was teaching what looked like a mix between Tai Chi, Qigong, kind of martial arts moves, uh, and what he referred to as these Yaki Indian dreaming practices. They're like, so you had these kind of, I used to call it funky Tai Chi. Well, I guess I still do. So, so I do a little funky Tai Chi each morning. Um, because that's just what it looks like. And then after um, going to these things for a while, I was practicing, we had a little practice groups. One of my friends said, hey, Scott, how'd you like to go to an ayahuasca ceremony? So I'm like, okay, go. Totally green. Did he tell you what it was at the time? Yeah, he told me, yeah. And uh, so like, I had to be introduced and did, you know, jump through the hoops. I was living in the Bay Area in San Francisco at the time. And so headed up to northern, uh, north of north of the bay, up into the redwoods. And there were a group of, uh, uh, it was this um, Colombian troop that was traveling through. And uh, I was introduced to them, stepped in this. When I went into the room, I looked around, and like I saw, like, easily a half a dozen of my friends. I'm like, Hey guys, why don't you tell me about this? Like what? Like you have friends? Like yeah, what's what's <laughs> who's keeping the secret here? Like what? Uh, so then after I drank the medicine, I'm like, I'm not feeling it. So I go up, and I get another dose. I'm not feeling it. I was one of those guys. I'm not feeling it. Did they give you good sizes? Like yeah, it okay. went down with like a double latte. Like, <laughs> not anymore. The more you drink, <laughs> the worse it and the worse it tastes and. Uh, so, so second cup? Second cup, I walk out, I take my little bucket because I'm told, oh, you, you might be a little bit nauseous, taking the stars. And then I kind of trot off into the into the, the edge of the woods because uh, I think, oh, if I'm going to throw up, I might as well just, just do Hurl it. out here, yeah. You know, I'll hurl out here. This looks like a, this looks like <laughs> a nice place to throw up. <laughs> and I'm not feeling it. I'm, I wasn't really that nauseous either. And then I kind of blinked. And I'm like, Holy shit. 
And then I closed my, opened my eyes, and the world was just as I left it. And then I closed my eyes again. And I, I like saw this. I, I was looking to my eyelids and my hands, only to realize that I'm infinite. Right? When I look down at my feet, I'm like, I'm infinite, right down through the floorboards. I was like stunned. And then I started using these movements that Castaneda had been teaching. The funky Tai Chi? The funky Tai Chi. Uh-oh. And then, and then I realized, wow, these movements are tailor-made for navigating this medicine. So I'm like, I'm out there for a couple hours out there or for something like that, doing some of these movements and holding these, pos- these different body positions. And then a little bit later, I kind of smell the, the scent of Palo Santo in the air, and I hear someone like crunching along the way. And I realize I've got still have my eyes closed. I realize there's somebody, one of the troop members, is walking my way. And uh, as he as he comes around me, he's like, "You okay?" I'm like, "Absolutely." And then yeah, I hear him walking away, crunch, 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 and he gets he gets another thirty twenty feet away, and I hear him say, "Good morning." And I'm like, good morning. Like, how long have I been out here? <laughs> and so that was like, that was my, that was the start to all of this. And and by bit, I I get sort of like pulled into it, like drawn and snared. I think would be a better yeah. word than than any other. You know, you know, people are like, were you called? I'm like, uh, no, actually, I was ensnared. Yeah, and kind of drawn into this. And I had, you know, I had some ceremonies early on, where the message was honor the spirit. You know, and so I made an effort as best I could to like honor the spirit. Had but you had you experienced anything like that before? Uh, no, not like that. No, and, and uh, you know, it's that was that was that was unique. I wasn't. Um, uh, I mean, it wasn't, we've had people have come through ceremony who've never, like, never smoked, never, like, they, they've done absolutely no substances at all. Mm-hmm. Teetotalers that don't even drink alcohol. They're like, okay, go easy. I mean, this is my first time, you know. That wasn't my case. So, I had experience. But I, that was my first time drinking ayahuasca. And that was just unlike anything i did you were you open to when you said honor the spirit were you open to the idea that that's what this is about is connecting to the spirit of this thing or was it kind of like well i'm taking i'm drinking this meta i'm drinking this tea that's got dmt in it or was it like did you go into it you know having that i i'd gone into it with like the um, the you could say the focus and the intentionality that uh, um, I was using in practice with uh, uh, with, with Castaneda's um, practices. So that I, I I was coming from a place of uh, of, like, of of doing focused work. Mm-hmm. Um, but and trying to clarify my point of 
my point of witness. I was meditating every day at the San Francisco Zen Center. Um, I'd get up at five o'clock in the morning. I'd go in. I'd meditate. Um, we'd do a little break, then we'd meditate again. Um, it was um, my little joke at the wall. It, at the time, was I get up in the morning and stare at a wall for an hour. That's what you do in the dark because you get up before sunrise. Yeah. Um, so there was, I had a focused practice. I didn't, I, I've developed since then a different perspective on what it means to honor the spirit. But I had, I had a framework and a practice. Yeah. And a foundation, a platform to, to jump off of. Yeah. So I did a platform dive. I feel like that's a huge, uh, there's a big difference. Like when you start to understand that all these things are about honoring the spirit, it's all about that communion. It's all about the sacrament. It's all about like, like thank the gratitude, you know, it's like, um, letting, you know, getting ourselves out of the way so that we can accept what there, what there is, you know, being offered. And I think that, you know, when I started to see things more that way, it like really changed things for me. It shifted my whole perspective on everything, really. Oh, no kidding. Like honoring the plants, honoring the spirit of the thing. It's not about the, I could care less what's in it or, you know, it's like, you know, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, <clears throat> there's a, as opposed to like a structuralist approach. Right. You know, like we're just a bag of chemicals. Right. That is like, that becomes like increasingly horrific to me. Like that, that I look at that and, and, uh, at the same time, like you know, like I, I see folks kind of embedded in that structuralist approach. I also see how quickly people radicalize. People come through ceremony, and the people radically change quickly. Oh, yeah. I remember sitting on a plane years ago. For some reason, this got under my skin. I was sitting next to a guy who was a uh, um, uh, middle management for defense contractor. And he was talking about managing people. He's like, people don't change. You give them, you can give them all the opportunities. They just don't change. It's like it's all about how you hire, because people don't change. Um, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Maybe in his reality, right? In I his mean, reality, yeah. yeah. People, people don't change. In yeah. my reality, it's, it's quite different. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, as you know, I mean, I've seen people like people change. They grow. That's my favorite part. There's nothing more rewarding, like you know, like on the last morning or something, and seeing people just change. Like you, you can see it from across the room. Like it's unreal. Yeah, that's right, and and it's got legs too. So, oh yeah, I had this one woman I was talking to in Joshua Tree, um, a while back. She goes, you know what? She said my last ceremony was kind of mild, to tell you the truth. She said, but then I looked back after three or four months, she said, I realized I had a completely different relationship with fear and anxiety. She said, that's why I'm back. Yeah. She started like, you take one element out of a habit and the whole habit disassembles. You take, <laughs> let's say you just take blind spot out. Like the nice thing about a blind spot is that once you see it, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then you just take one element out of a defensive posture and the defensive posture like, crumbles yeah you get your know, body gets the memo you know, sometimes the memo is oh my god i'm no longer under threat oh my god 
I'm not under threat. <laughs> like a body like takes that in. In other words, they've been spending years in a defensive posture and it takes mm-hmm. it takes energy to hold up your arms, hold up the body in that hold it in that position, you know, hold that defensive posture. And it can kind of wear on you, you know. Not only the physical strain, but the mental strain. Seriously. All of it, yeah. It, it reminds me, you know, what you guys are talking about right now reminds me of something that um, I listened to or I saw yesterday. Um, Sadhguru on the Joe Rogan experience, which was interesting to me. I'm like, Sadhguru went on Joe Rogan? Recently or? I, I don't know how long ago it was. I just, when I looked at the uh, the thumbnail, it said that it was like, ten, it was posted 10 months ago. Um, but so Sadhguru is making the point how like, we have all these technologies, right? We have all these tools that we've used to advance ourselves as human beings, right? And in this room, even right now, we look at, you know, we see the machines that we're using the, that give us the ability to transmute our, our the, you know, the sound vibrations in through here. And now you can hear it here. You know, we've got supercomputers and all this stuff, right? But the the most sophisticated piece of technology in this room are our bodies, right? And it's like we have instruction manuals, you know, uh, for all of these external uh, tools, right? These these external technologies. But uh, he was making the point uh, because Joe Rogan is like, you know, yeah, but we don't have a, we don't have a, a instruction manual for the body. You know, how are we supposed to, you know, learn about our, you know, our ourselves? And Sadhguru is making the point. It's like, yes, there is. You're just not listening to it. You got to realize that the signals that your body is sending as you're moving and guiding yourself throughout this journey are you know, those are pieces of information that you got to hold on to. So it's like, as you're talking about, uh, you know, a difference in relationship of fear and anxiety, you know, from one ceremony to the next, it's like everything that we learn through, uh, you know, the spirit and, you know, honoring the spirit, all of these other principles that are um, in a sense of the unseen world, are the guidelines for how we can manage ourselves, you know, kind of throughout life, making the decisions, sticking to principles. I think language is like, it's a great tool, but it's like we get so wrapped up in words and language that we limit ourselves like tremendously because it's like we want to put a label on everything. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to describe everything. And that manual you're you're talking about to me, it's not written in words. Exactly. It's It's about being in alignment and listening to our bodies and, and sitting in silence to let that, you know, to let it come through. And that's, you know, that's key to all this stuff, I think, is quieting the... Quieting the chatter, so yeah. The, so that the real stuff can... The real teachings can shine. come through. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole lexicon, right? There's all these, like those, there's a, uh, there's a vocabulary to... The instrumentation is really elegant instrumentation. It's operation and, and exists on multiple dimensions. So that sounds a little bit like blowing smoke, right? Except that, you know, people before ceremony will fall asleep. And they'll go into a dream in which they're in the ceremony. Mm-hmm. Then they'll wake up and go into ceremony. <laughs> and during that, and after that first drink, sometimes, you know, it takes a little while for it to sort of settle in and work its way. And uh, sometimes, you know, people come out of the workaday world, it's a Friday, whatever. 
they'll drift off. And then they go into a dream in which you're in a ceremony. <laughs> and then they wake up and they're like, whoa, I'm in ceremony. <laughs> I can't tell you how often that's happened. Like these, these ceremonies exist on multiple planes. We're multidimensional beings. Where's the proof for that? For anybody listening, the proof is you dream. Like you, the people, you exist on multiple. This is extremely elegant for anyone who's ever called it a meat wagon. I'm like, well, you might want to reconsider. That. <laughs> you know, it is fun, it is such elegant instrumentation. It is the temple, right? in which we like step into this life, step into our dreams, step into relationships, step into that vast interior space. And then you got the thing that's got its fingers up. Everybody's nose, the internal dialogue. Yeah. That chatter back and forth, like the arguments you have with people when they're not in the room. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's like you, you get triggered and then you start like really chatting, talking to yourself. Sometimes it can take a while to exit, right? That get out of that those those trigger states, and you know, once that has its own like, there can be a procedural basis for that. You can try techniques. You can tr- you can work on meditation, etc. Like there are like procedures you can try to like back engineer. Uh, the interesting thing about stepping in the ceremony is that there's a kind of a line within it. Some people call it surrender. And you can, you can step, it's like everyone needs to step across that line so that people, everyone that comes through the ceremony is kind of a student of struggle and surrender. Sometimes it's easy. People just like walk across that line. It's, it's, you step into a state of absolute inner silence. And the experience is one of just can be just divine love and direct connection. And so here you get this framework, you have this this envelope, the ceremonial form that's there and designed for uh, supporting people's intention to be able to like step into that state uh, without stepping in between them and divinity. So there's yeah, there's <clears throat> beautifully hey, worded. That's uh, <laughs> that's something I really love about the space that you hold, and the, you know the maloka and every, like it, it feels so unintrusive. It's like it just allows for everything, but there's nothing. I don't know. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know how to say it, but it's 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 very um, it's open. And it's, you know, nothing feels forced. It just feels like, you know, I, I love the way you hold space, the way you serve medicine. It's kind of like, I'm here if you need me. No schedule, no timeline. We love you. Everyone do their thing. And I, I love that. Like, it feels really, uh, uh, it allows me to um, uh, surrender more more so. I, I feel like that's a never-ending journey like i don't for me (laughs) (laughs) i love the there were pieces that you were bringing up that um that reminded me of a lot of things you know it's like 
what you're talking about is in direct connection. And it's just from my experience, right? What, what I'm telling you guys about Sadhguru and the instruction manual for the internal, right? And you're talking about spiritual technology here. You know, you're talking about these abilities that we all as, as human beings share. And we have this, we have a certain proficiency within each of us to gauge, you know, how well we are at, at some of these things, right? And these are tools that everybody can use to their benefit. And so uh, things that you were talking about, for example, were like that inner chatter, that inner dialogue, taking, you know, as soon as something arises in there, if you take the time to sit there and attend your mind and, and give life to that idea, it's going to continue to grow and grow. And, you know, and you don't know what's happening on the subconscious realm and what is being attracted to you as you're uh, producing those thoughts. So, you know, you were talking about it, it can sometimes be difficult to exit that you know, that, that chatter, but that ability is, um, you know, it's, it's important. It's imperative that we learn it. Right. And then you went deeper into, um, talking about how everybody has to, how everybody has to pass that line of surrender. And in life, there's all of, there's always opportunities for us to surrender to a higher purpose or a higher reason or to something else. Right. And so, um, you know, it's, it's the more and the more I hear about, uh, the way you facilitate or conduct these, um, these ceremonies gets me more and more amped to, to want to, you know, to want to go. Um, and the, the, a nice thing as well that's coming up is that my, uh, my partner's like, you know, I think I'm ready to, to take the next step. And I think ayahuasca is the first thing I want to try. And I'm like, perfect. And it's like, you know, so it's all like, I love how it all comes together. And, um, and yeah, you know, I'm, I, I love hearing you speak because it's, you know, I, I take bits and pieces of, of, um, of anybody I can learn from. So, um, I just want to thank you again for, for joining us here. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely welcome. I'm not, I mean, there's a lot of food for thought. What <laughs> you just said, I'm not sure like, exactly <laughs> which, which, which thread to like to jump in on. You don't have to, I just, you know, but I, you know, as Nate was just saying, it's like this, it's this kind of never ending journey where ceremony doesn't end. And so this, like this process of like, of being in the moment and like attending to like what's right in front of you, uh, allows you to like, like listen, stay open. You know, sometimes people ask about like, how do you protect yourself? You know? And, my take on that is the best way to protect yourself is to stay open, all the way open. Uh, because in a real practical way, you can see it coming. If you maintain a defensive posture because you're trying to protect yourself, then you're going to have some blind spots. You're going to be like, and you get that additional effort in, uh, in yeah. protecting yourself. Well, and remaining fully open allows things to move through us, right? Uh, allowing yeah right allowance right like and the the resistance the you know the illusion of control the protection the things that are all up here in the brain that that's like to me that ends up to being that's like where the pain comes from that's where the suffering is like that's like the you know trying to like i'm gonna protect myself i'm gonna hold it and it's like hey I uh, had a cool experience uh, at a ceremony in Phoenix up with Clay and he had a gong and 
you know, they had a gong in the room and like at first it was like so loud. It was like hurting my ears. And by the end, a couple ceremonies later, I was laying right next to the gong and it was just like my eardrums. It felt like they didn't even react. It was just kind of like, like right through because it felt like I was just open to it and just allowing it to be. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to protect myself. Yeah, right. It's uh, th- you can set you, you can set that aside, and at the same time, like recognize, you know, part of that process is just is recognizing how you're responding to what's going on in the field. So you don't have to be like in a state of denial. You can, or you can, or in a state where you've uh, left. Uh, um, uh, we're not. It's, it's a good way of putting it. It's kind of attuned to the moment. Yeah. By simply, uh, so that like, if someone's having a bad day, uh, you can f- like you can you can feel it without taking it on. Right. right? If, yeah. You know you can you can uh, you can maintain healthy boundaries because you know where the lines are. Right. You don't have to be. You're not going to take if you find yourself uh, having interaction and you're talking to yourself afterwards and it's, and it's persistent, you're attentive to yourself talking to yourself. If you're judging yourself, like, oh, there I am judging myself. And so you can be accepting of all that. And it's, it's not, no one's doing anything to anybody. No one's doing anything to you. It's how you respond to what's happening in your field. Yeah. So you you stay attentive to you know if you want to hold space you stay attentive to how you're responding. So if your partner's having a bad day, you know, then you like you stay attentive like not only just re- staying attentive to them but how how you're responding. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're like breathing is tight, you're like feeling tense, it's like this is really kind of hard to hear. I'm not really liking this too much, you know, it's like, you know, maybe like, and then and one of the nice things about working with the medicine, it gives you, I found for myself, it gives me two or three seconds to like, to like take a breather. Not much, but sometimes that's enough mm-hmm. if I'm being triggered. Like, you know, I mean, if I'm being triggered, I get two or three seconds. And sometimes I'm like, if there's something I got to say, I got to say it. Cause otherwise it's going to get stuck up in my head. Yeah. <laughs> I, hate when that happens. I love it uh because i swear it's it, the way the way uh information comes to me is always i feels like it's always so divinely like placed right and so what you're talking about right now is is part of that the interview that i keep bringing up right it's he uh Sadhguru talks about how we're always in this endless state of compulsive reaction right and it's because in nature, we've we've learned to just be reactive to things, right? Uh, we then they they introduce proactivity, right? But we can't be proactive all the time, right? But what can we do? We can instead of being compulsive reactors, we can be conscious responders, right? We can respond consciously to the things that that happen to us or through us, right? But it's it's sometimes that one two seconds is really all we need sometimes to just like wait a second. Yesterday, I would have, I would have just gone off, you know, flipped the lid. I would have, you know, things would have hit the fan. But because I know, because I'm aware of how I can respond here, 
I'm going to respond differently. Right. And it's like, these are so, um, I felt like just, these are, these are just so foundational, these ideas, um, that seem like they're fleeting or they're just like, um, you know, uh, what's the word? Like, you know, not, it's like, yeah, you know, it's like too, too far out. It's like, these ideas are like, oh, those are only for the, the spiritual people. You know, it's like, no, these are foundational ideas that can, that you can utilize in any walk in, in any walk of life. If you're a father, if you have kids, if you're at work, you're trying to, you know, whatever you're doing, it's like, we've got to realize that like, there's a, there's a dance, you know, there's a melody, there's a harmony to all this. And if we, you know, if the chatter in our minds and what we're going through is all chaotic, let's take a step back. It's quiet, quiet everything down, take a breath, be here. And now like, this is the only place to be. It's the only time you can be like, and another thing that you brought up was the dream aspect. It's like, this is all a dream like and and we're dreaming it together but the dream that you're dreaming is your dream so like make it that way you know be the hero be the be the whatever but if you're choosing to be the victim don't blame it on the people that you're surrounded by you know because these are your surroundings yeah there's, there's a good way to get out of victim mode is just realize the pain you've caused others you know like as soon as you like you see the pain you've like Ayahuasca is really good at like, you know, some doing life reviews. Sooner or later, not every night, sooner or later, you're going to have a life review. You're going to take a look at certain patterns. So the medicine's going to be like, like as if it's holding up a placard. And it's going to tilt its head to one to the left. <laughs> and it's going to say, do you remember this? <laughs> and it's going to hold up another picture. And it's going to tilt the other direction with a big smile. And it's going to do you remember this? <laughs> and then it's going to straighten right square in front of you with a little picture and you go, put in your face, do you remember this? We're <laughs> <laughs> uh, we done yet? How about this, 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 and this? Mm-hmm. Okay, we're done. And this? And like stuff I hadn't even like thought of twice. Like hadn't even reflected since it happened. And this? And this? Okay, okay, okay. There's a pattern here. Yeah, there's a pattern. You know, and then you start seeing, and then once you see the, the, the pain you've caused others, then you can't, like, you can't be in victim mode. I think it gets you out of that and gets you in the state in which, like, you realize the pain you've caused others is the pain you've caused yourself. And this, this is a, you know, we're all in this together, right? All, and then it may be, like, leads you into, in sort of a, gets you into a wider frame looking at the people around you and the effect you have on them, the effect they have on you. Do you think that's enough for the shift, though? Do you think it's enough for the people that are so in their, like, so into their habits of, like, well, look at what's been done to me. Look at what my parents did to me or what this person did to me. Look at where I am now because of this, my ex-husband or my ex-wife who divorced me and now I'm in this state. Like looking, if they, you know, they can sit there and be like, okay, well, you know, this is what I've done to other people, but what they've done to me is way worse. You know, like <laughs> how, how, do we, how do we bridge that gap? I'm just, I'm just, it's a question for they're anybody. Not, they're not fully owning you know, they're not fully taking responsibility because everybody is a reflection of us. 
So for me, anytime I'm, you know, I'm feeling triggered, I like, I want to go off on somebody or I have all this stuff. I need to speak my mind. I've, I've learned to like take a day or take some time with that and really break it down and understand my responsibility, my part in all of that. And by the, by the end of that, I find that I have a whole new, um, way of presenting myself that is like a loving, like supportive, like raise them up, raise us both up versus like an attack, you know, cause I'm not defending myself anymore. And I'd say a lot of people like, you know, they'll say like, yeah, you know, but they're not, you know, I think if you take full responsibility for yourself, I think it's pretty hard, but, uh, yeah, is there's this you were talking about Christian about being responsive, right? And like, over time, I've begun to like view responsive or responsible essentially the same thing. Like it's just that if you're responsive and you have the capacity to respond, you've got that ability, then you're responsible. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and so like, who's going to respond? Something's going on. Who's going to respond to that? Like, you look around, who's the responsible party? Like, who's, you know? And so, if you st- once you start, like, I've noticed, like, oh, it's just, it's a helpful, in terms of, like, a navigational tool, you respond. Uh, so then you, you you recognize what other, you know, people are saying or feeling. And so, you know, that's, like, step one. And it's just, is that is that simple level of just recognition, uh, acknowledgement. And then, you know, once you acknowledge, then you can step into acceptance. You can't really accept something until you, like, acknowledge yeah. it and see it. Yeah. And then once you, like, once you accept, then you can step into a state of, like, you can go wherever you want to. So that might bring you into forgiveness. You know, you can't really, you can't, really want to f- you can't force forgiveness. You can try. <laughs> you know, you can, or you, or you can force a state. You can try to, like, rip somebody out of a state of, of victimhood and have a, have an argument, you know, fight on your hands. Uh, and, but, you know, for someone like, if I like, it becomes, maybe, I like to keep it simple. You know, whatever is going on, like, it's, it's, I found it's like really helpful to keep it simple and distill things down to their, their most essential elements in order to like pass through you know, a lot of things I'm never going to understand, but at least at the very even if I don't understand them, very often I can navigate them or learn how. So if someone's in a state of like victimhood and they're not snapping out of it, there's usually a pretty good lesson for me there somewhere. And take you know I can take a look, and that's up to them, right? They're, it's their threshold to cross, you know. So I can't I can't take them on, I can't take on, and nor I want to. But it's it's one of those slippery slopes, those pitfalls, yeah. is to take on other people's pain. Like you know, I used to look at people's um, uh, behavior. I thought that was good. Instead of looking at what people said, I'd look at watch what they do. What they do. Yeah. And then and so then I'd assess on that at that level. And then I, t- I took a little. I took another step in, and I saw like people's behavior is kind of like packaging around their suffering, around their pain. And so then I could, like, look at that behavior. Then I could look at, like, what was underneath that as opposed to, like, because I'd, I'd been engaging, like, a fair amount of judgment 
around what people are doing. And I get in a little argument, you know, something like, you know, like in my relationships. If I ever, I would use the phrase or phrases like, do you honestly believe that? <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Whatever I said after that would get in so much trouble, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but the ju- it up. yeah, you know, the judge would be like, "How can you be that way? How can you do that thing?" Right? Oh, and I yeah. wasn't looking at like uh, how I was responding. Mm-hmm. Like no one was doing anything to me. It was like I was responding to how I was responding. Right? So who's responsible for that? Well, I am. Jeez, you know. So if the revolution is going to happen, it's very simple. The navigational tools and elements are very simple. And the, the, like, you can take a look at like how tools for let's say manipulation, like the internal dialogue. Like I said, it's got his fingers up everybody's nose, and like, and that's right next to like guilt and shame, you know, and like gross wholesale aggregate manipulation. You know, you don't want to talk about like mass psychosis. You want to talk about people in small groups like going like ape shit, people losing their like. You know, just losing their bearings, being upset or triggered. Then you work your way on down the ladder, you know, mm-hmm. being upset, having a bad day, um, or just being troubled, like on the way down to like just general malaise. You know, walk down the street, and it's not too hard to see people who are like dispossessed, um, uh, depressed, um, demoralized. Demoralized, right? What's that? Like, like, you know, like the moral at the end of the story, where you're like, why am I doing this? Like, your reason for, like, living, your reason for doing things, that's taken away, right? People, like, get married to, like, a narrative, and then that gets undertaken or, or pulled out or undermined. Then what? Right? And it's just by simply keeping it simple... So if you have a practice with meditation and, and you're like you're aiming at letting go of the internal dialogue, quieting the mind, and talk with people like, you know, I'm not really very good at meditation. I'm like, don't worry about it. I'm not either. That's, you know, my take on that is like, it's you don't have to be good at meditation. In fact, the point is not to be good at meditation. So, and then you know you're doing meditation right if you're not doing it right. And I, you know, it's just all your, so if you're talking to yourself, you're chattering, you might go, la, 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 you know, whatever, regardless of what it's saying, whether it's like some glorious epiphany or whether it's just flipping torture, all you're doing is dusting off your point of awareness. All you're doing is looking at it. That's it. So if you're doing Zen, I like to do Zen meditation. I'm going to sit and pose, left hand over right, tongue on the roof of my mouth. I'm going to, I'm going to keep my chin level, and I'm going to look down at 45 degrees. I'm going to, st- I'm going to sit either cross-legged or on a meditation cushion, and I'll, I'm going to feel the tingling sensation in my hands, the tingling sensation in my body. I'm going to like place my attention on my breath and my whole physical form. Everything's in slight tension sitting in, in the, the zazen pose. Everything's in slight tension. You can't fall asleep. You'll fall forward, and you'll catch yourself. Everything's in slight. So you can feel that. And eventually, you're going to hear yourself talking. You're la, 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 talking to yourself. Something beautiful, something bad, it doesn't matter. And you just come back. 
It doesn't matter if it's going 100 miles an hour. It's just like bear witness to it. And then you see how you respond. And then you go into life, like seeing how you respond. Ah, so you're responsible. You're the responsible party for how you feel, not every anybody else. And so if there's like there's victimhood going on, you know, it's like you get a view of that. And if someone's like embedded in that, if you look, maybe not too hard, you can probably relate. At some point in your life, you'd be like, okay, I can relate. And so you don't have to judge too harshly. And if they start to impinge and you're all the way open, you just maintain healthy boundaries. You see how you respond? Like, you know what you need? You can serve their interest and yours. You know? And so I'll make the little scissor sign on the air. You know? Two fingers together, cut. You know? And so when you need to, maintain healthy boundaries, which is like, and so sometimes they're extreme, they're porous, and other times you cut. I have a question for you, Scott. Um, So you've been serving the medicine for how long? We started this little church of ours back in 2015. Okay. So we actually incorporated, and uh, and that was pretty close to, like, right from the beginning. Once we started, I've been working with the medicine since 2009. So I've been sitting with it, working with it, and then... After about six years or so, um, I started pouring it um, in small ceremonies. Uh, and then uh, we, uh, we started this as a more um, um, expansive yeah. practice. Do you, do you find, so right now, I don't know, you know, back then how often you were sitting and pouring and... But do you, does it, is it ever draining on you? Do you ever find that you're like, because right now it's like we're sitting every two weeks um, or twice a month or whatever. Does it, do you find ever that you're like wanting space from that or is it like? It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good rhythm right right now. Yeah. It's like, and it's important to stay conscious or like, my own limits, you know, I've got to take care of myself, take care of the physical plan. I don't want to exhaust myself. Um, we'll do three day weekends. And so after three day weekend, uh, I need some rest. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The integration specialist eat, sleep, shower. Um, and that's, um, but I'll get, you know, then on, we finish up on Monday, uh, and then I'll, I'll stay up. I'll go to bed early about, maybe six, seven o'clock at night. And then I'll wake up at five o'clock in the morning. Boom. I'm right back on schedule. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm feeling like pretty, you know, eat well, maintain a, a regular meditation practice. Uh, and so that if, if my, if I'm, I'm pushing my limits, I get a, a pretty good idea, like where that line is. So I don't have to cross it to know that I've crossed it. Um, I've, I've, uh, I mean, unfortunately, like, there's no way to, like, test your limits except by, like, testing your limits. So yeah. I've, I've definitely tested my limits on, uh, um, by combining ceremonies with, um, you know, 17-hour trips down to, down the Amazon and then precious little sleep down there and then coming back with, um, 
substantial amount of ayahuasca and uh, and then going right back into ceremony yeah so i the uh but then always coming back and and you know to like eat sleep shower meditate and and, and maintaining those like baselines and uh, so but and it's you know, my little cardboard sign is we'll work for inspiration we got so many great people in this community. It's really inspiring. Yeah. You know, so that, like, it feels good. Like, there's it's no, energizing. It is energizing. There's no avoiding hard work in this life. Yeah. So, okay, big deal. You get some hard work. Yeah. You know, and then, but you don't want to, like, exhaust yourself because you're, you're not attending to your own interests. Yeah. And you definitely don't want to exhaust others because you, then you're not attending to theirs. So, do you feel like, so, if somebody new to the medicine, they come and they're, you know, they, they have a interesting night or they get something out of it and then they're wanting to come back right away and come back. Do you, do you feel like this is something for, like, for a lot of people as, like, a maintenance thing, like something that they could come back to a bunch of times or do you think that, or what do you observe as far as like people coming, like having a big experience and then they leave for years or maybe six months later, you know, do you think that it's something where people need to keep coming back or is it like, Oh, I, you know, I did a certain amount of work this year and now I'm like clear from that. Like, do you, you know, cause I feel like for me, I, I, I'm like, I'm just called to be part of it as much as possible, but I feel like maybe that'll change. Maybe there'll be a time where it's like, Oh, now I'm going to go focus on something else for a long time, you know, and for yourself, like, so I guess I don't know exactly what my question is, but I just, uh, maybe it's just an individual basis, you know, as far as, you know, when you're called back to it, but is the goal to get people like cleared and then like go live your life? Or is it tend to be like people, once they come, they're coming back. Sometimes it's like triage, you know, sometimes people come in. I mean, we're not, I had this one guy called me up one time. He's like going across the desert. He's like coming from LA. He's like, all right, man, I, I, I gotta, I gotta get in ceremony this weekend. It's like Wednesday, right? Ceremony is going to be Friday. It's like, yeah, you know, I've got like I'm 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 clearing from meth and I'm uh, and and mushroom I do meth <laughs> and mushrooms, and he's trying to explain like why he absolutely had to be in ceremony on Friday. I'm like, okay, you're probably not going to want to hear this, but we're not here to save anybody. I'm not here to save anyone. Yeah. Okay. I'm not here to save you. Okay. I'm like, and so like it's important to keep that in mind. And then for each person, like, I've noticed this. When people come in, if they have an intention, we've had plenty of people who dropped meth, dropped heroin, like, dropped these drugs, dropped them, like, dropped them from their lives. Um, sometimes they relapse, and then they see them, like, oh, it's so gross. Like, how could I do that? And that, like, takes a little time to clear, right? Uh, but the people's intentions are clear, or they're working on clarifying their intention they'll do it every time they'll do it like intent is is flipping gold like yeah you, you marry you marry intent to um uh to the intersection of perception and awareness you can yeah. navigate through just about anything yeah of course at the center of that like we're like we're, we exist like if you want to like really simplify it we, ex we exist at, 
at the crosshairs of perception and awareness. How can you perceive without awareness? How can you be aware without something to perceive? You know, and so maybe you don't like at that crosshairs you want to like drop some like some color, love. And then you place your intent there. You can navigate anywhere. Essentially, stay you know, cast your intent, stay present. Heck yeah, dude. I love that. <laughs> It's it at first, you know, when you when you first brought the like when you first introduced the idea, I was kind of like pondered with for it. You know, if you saw me, I was like kind of like looking up. I was like, wait, what does he mean by that? You know, and then you like really emphasize what you meant about putting intention at the crosshairs of perception and uh, awareness. Is that what you said? And it's like at first I was just like struggling with it, but then it's like, Oh, you put yourself, you know, you put the love aspect in there and it's like, once you put your intention into loving everything, you know, your awareness and perception will, you know, open up to those being, you know, what you have the ability to choose for, choose with. Totally. And, and so people, everyone's got their own cycle to, uh, to healing and growth. And so sometimes people are in for, uh, you know, multiple weekends, and I see them a lot. And then they're done for the time being. And it might be a year, two years, three years until I see them again. Um, or maybe I see them three months later. But there are occasions when I do not flip and recognize people. I just don't recognize. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like hey, la, 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 I haven't seen you in a year. They're like, you don't remember me. I'm like, give me a, give me a minute. <laughs> and inevitably, it's like, to don't walk away like holy shit <laughs> like I remember them in ceremony a year ago that was like and they've changed look how they've grown look how they look how they've changed look their demeanor their stance their breath their body their energy level like they've completely tra- they've transformed you know and I then you know, once I make the connection like you know I remember I remember them in ceremony, you know? It's like, it's a different, different person. Uh, and so there, there are these different, you know, uh, people come in. There's like no set um, timetable, you know? But I, I do think, peop- like very often, though, people do come in for sort of like, you could say like maintenance. Like they do ceremony for a while, and then they step away, and, and they come back in, and they're like, you know, everyone takes some energetic hits in life, so it goes, and they're able to clear stuff and then get back into it. You know, I see a lot. I see, I see what I would call warriors coming through. You know, the thing about the the social order when you like surrender in the social order, very often people give up their personal power, and so they struggle their lives trying to like reclaim that personal power. But there's like the struggle is exhausting, can be, for various reasons. But in, in ceremony, when people surrender, what I see is people reclaiming personal power. It's interesting, and it goes against the grain. It goes against everything they've, like, learned their whole life, having to, like, like I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to give up. I'm going like, to fight, right? And yet, you know, or, like, or, like, or I'm going to do what they say, but I'm going to resent the hell out of it, you know. That like these like kind of personal battles like, go on, and yet like in ceremony, people like surrender, 
And like they own it. It's theirs. And then they reclaim personal power. You know, like go of those defensive postures. You know, sometimes like, you know, people go into sermon, they want to like get something out of their life. Like, I want out, I want out, I want out. <laughs> and and then there's a struggle in that. They're like end up, they end up pushing against their own resistance. They want the resistance out of their life. And so they push against <laughs> that resistance and they're like in sermon going, Oh my God. I'm like oh. And then they're like maybe, you know, they're they're like can we, is there any way to make this go away? You know? And then, you know, then that moment comes where they stop pushing against their own resistance. And then they just they hit a point of acceptance or they they get to this point with uh, with their own resistance where uh, they see it for what it is. And they realize that the pushing away was the holding on. That pushing, that put the harder they pushed, the <laughs> harder they were holding on. And then, let, and they just like let it go, like every like grain, every ounce, like resistance to that. They just let it go. And they've been pushing on that thing their whole flipping life. And once they let it go, they reclaim personal power. Because they've been pushing against something, right? Something was taken from them, and they said no. And it was still taken from them, right? And it's like, you know? And so, you know, in part, there could be like like a victim aspect to that. In part, it could be like kind of uh, anger, you know? Like people hold on to the anger, and they push them, trying to push that anger out of their life, or they're trying to push people out of their life. Or they're trying to like push, 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 you know. All that pushing is is like speaks to having it given up or personal power. And so then you see people like surrender, reclaim personal power, and they have like a different approach to like living. You know, like that woman's like she's got a different relationship with fear and anxiety. She's like, oh, You're like different, you know, slightly different view. And so there's a rhythm to that. You know? And every, you know, each person's different, of course. So the the rhythms change. It's interesting yeah. to see how that works. I mean, I've, I've myself, I've gone through several rhythms with it. I mean, my first ceremony ever, you didn't meet me at the beginning of this journey but if if you did i'd be one of those people that a year later you're like that's not the same guy like i don't you know but like it was one ceremony one night resistance like the whole night and like there was just one little moment of something that happened and then it kind of like changed my whole life and i needed like six months to you know even begin to unravel what happened in that one little moment or, you know, what it felt like through my perception was this one little moment. And, um, and then, yeah, it's just something that, uh, get called to. And then, you know, and then that rhythm has changed. And now it's like, I, like, I, I just want to be there all the time. Cause I just want to be in the community. I just want to witness and serve. And like, I, it's just, it fills me up, you know, going to ceremony and watching people come out and like, and, and now, you know, I can be part of these things often. And like, it, I feel the, I can feel uh, 
struggle and resistance and pain and like these dark things in the room, but I'm like completely, it's like I'm at peace with it generally. It's like, I was just like, oh, wow, interesting, you know, versus like, oh, this sucks. Why are they, why are they like this? And why is this happening? And why, you know, it's like now it's just kind of like, oh, wow, we're doing some good work in here. And it doesn't hurt, you know, like it used to, you know, be feel so painful. Um, but I've definitely learned that, you know, everything, I, when I resist things that what, what I resist persists, you know, but I believe that for sure. I'm, you know, I, for, for others who struggle with this, uh, with this resistance piece, it's always in my mind, I always ponder the question how do we get people to do things that they know they should do but they don't want to do them you know it's like and it's they can be really simple habits you know simple behaviors that they can introduce but it's like like something within them doesn't want to give up whatever it is to to do something they know is going to be more is going to be healthier more conducive more constructive to their their lives their surroundings whatever but it's like so many i feel like so many people struggle with the well how do i do something that i know i should do but i i just don't want to do it like but it's like it's always a question that has to be turned back on to to the individual it's like well then well you don't want it bad enough like you don't you don't care about it enough you don't love it enough you know, to really, uh, you know, embody it, to envelop it in your life. Like, so it's like, um, I, I, I have that, I have that, um, that I have the opportunity when I'm around different people who struggle with that. And it's sometimes it's hard for me to just flat out say that to them, but I'm learning that it's like, I'm in these spaces and people are in a sense asking me and I'm choosing not to give them the hard truth. And I, what I want to do is give it to them in a nice little package. That's like, you know, Oh, here you go. It's nice and simple this way. But I'm learning that yeah, I can't do that with everybody. I can't do that with anybody. Like, and it's like learning how to use this language, which is, you know, that it's just, it, it can be difficult sometimes. And I just, I, I had to let that out into some so, way or another. Yeah. So that I, I, you know, I'm in my head a lot about that. Cause I feel like I, I know of a lot of tools. I know, like I have this vision of this way I want to be like where I'm, you know, I'm on top of this, 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 and I'm using all these tools to be like this highest version of myself. And then I struggle with like taking the steps to like, and I, what I wonder some, what, what do I get? The story I tell in my head is like, you know, um, it's just like the, it's this thing between like judging myself and allowing, like, like there's this battle of like, well, wait, but that's just where I'm at in my process. It's okay, Nathan. It's okay to be where you're at today. But then I wonder if that's just me letting myself slide and kind of mm -hmm. stay in this old pattern, letting my ego run the show and letting my desires pull me along versus like so is that a you know is it a lack of discipline is it I don't want it bad enough is it because I don't think I deserve it mm -hmm. or is it like 
I think that's where you make the pivot though, right there is where you recognize like, wait, am I using this as a tactic to slide through again? Like yeah. once you, once you're aware of like, wait, am I using this as, as a, like a mechanism to try to get around what I'm, what I know I'm supposed to do or, I definitely know I am. you know? And so, yeah, I think like, that's where we're like, oh, okay. It's not, it's not something I'm doing as like, as, as an accident anymore. I know I'm doing it. So now I've like, okay, now I got to readjust because I know I'm doing it now. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cause it's like, it, you know. Are you, are you with but us I, here, I, Scott? Are I we stay, having the conversation? But I stay in patterns longer than I want to. It's like I want to be, I want to be fucking done with this shit. I want to move on. I want to, you know, I, I have big, big ideas for myself, big expectations, and then, so I, you know, this balance between allowing myself to be and just enjoying myself where I'm at. Because if I look at it from over here, I'm good. Yeah. Like there's not like, yeah. I'm just really hard on myself. You look at the place where you came from and where you're at today. It's like, oh, it's easy. Like, oh yeah, look at where I've come from, you know? And, but when we're looking ahead, it's like we, it's great to have that big vision that's detailed and, and, you know, analyzed to the way we want it. But then it's like, we'll get there. Let's just focus on right here. Like what's this very next thing that I need to do? What's the, what's the next best thing? to do like to incorporate myself in so that I'm one step closer to being is right over there, you know, like, yeah, but it's like, I think if we look too far into that, we're going to overwhelm ourselves. We're going to like, Oh man, that's a lot. It can discourage us, make us, you know, put us in other places, make us feel complacent, you know, but then it's like, Oh, refocus. Let's just do what I can do right now and love what I'm, you know, find the brightness in, in what I'm doing right here. Find, the way you know a way to make this joyful here's here's kind of an example i was down hit uh, it with us scott i was sailing down in, in san carlos oh, so it's always great stories <laughs> and uh so my i was wanted to get certified in sailing i grew up sailing and then i wanted to, like polish my skills so I got down there and my instructor um uh and i said taken taken a day uh, and then late afternoon, uh, we pitched anchor in a in a cove, and then one of these kind of party boats came around the other side of, of the cove and had one of these inflatable slides, and they put threw it over the edge, and then and they had some people were drinking some beer, and they went down the slide, and and we were off on the off the boat, we were we were snorkeling, so we'd spent the the day like, you know. Running attack, uh, running the jib, you know, navigating the wind, uh, and going directly into, the, you know, sailing against the wind, sailing with it, and it, the whole day was about navigating, and so then I worked down, doing a little, doing some snorkeling, um, and I look over at that boat and I think, huh, I've been on that boat before. And it's kind of half fun being on that boat. And you're just kind of on the boat. It's half fun. I'm there. There's nothing else to do. I'm going to burn through three hours in the afternoon and get, I'm going to drink some. But it's not really fun. It's just, I'm just there, you know. And so that really kind of underscored for me, like, like the pleasures of navigating, regardless of how much work it is or, like, or the challenges, 
uh, being able to navigate through your own emotional states, navigate with like with the people that you know. Yeah, I've noticed this thing about like honesty. Honesty is like gravity. Like I'm pulled to the places where I feel like I can be most honest. And you know, sometimes it's not that I'm in, I'm not gonna I'm gonna try not to be honest with somebody. It's just that some with some interactions, it's just easier to be like wholly honest. And uh, maybe that's because the other party's listening to whatever extent, but there's a certain element to that. And even if you're just like open, there are just kind of limitations in terms of like interactions or how how you relate or how you like click or move and with the tenor of conversation. And so, you know, in terms of like your like inner life, your inside game and your outside game, it's it's you know journey it's it's always an inner journey always forever and always it's always this inner journey and then but on the exterior side of that it's a practice of honesty it's not like you're gonna like you get you're gonna get the truth right every time it's just like it's a practice ongoing and then maintaining that in the clear field with people that are like have have a shared intent so you've got these inner, you know, you've got your objective and then you have your subjective. And, you know, you know, your objective is like, I guess that's God's view, right? And your subjective, well, you're welcome to your opinion. You know, so that's a, but then the inner subjective is your, the shared interior state. And we have, like, we exist within these shared interior states. And part of that is how honest you're being with yourself as best you can and how honest people are being with themselves, and then the effort amongst you to like to be direct, and then to express that. And so, every people, are, if everybody is making the effort to navigate, if if the group is is working on dusting off their point of witness, if if people are trying to like understand what it is to live intentionally, and they have shared values. You add to that their understanding of what it means to honor the spirit. You put all your wind in the sail. You got you. The wind is behind. You're navigating as a group. That's like, you know, I've got a little bit of stick it to the man in me, and stick it to man would love to splinter people up. And you know, like this day of age, like today, like divide and conquer looks like being kicked off. Uh, chat room on, or a subreddit or like you know, you know defriended well I, you know going into in the bubbles where everyone agrees with each other and then that's okay I guess to a certain extent like I'm sort of into coalition building but then you know, like if you point to the other side and say and those people over there they're such idiots well it's pretty much guaranteed that they're pointing the other direction <laughs> you know you are somebody else's idiot. Like, how can, like, and so, you know, you stat, there is power in coalition building. I see all walks of life come through a ceremony, all walks of life. We've, like, we had, like, it, demographics, we had an uh, 82 year old man with Parkinson's come through a ceremony. Okay. The people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, okay. All races, all sexes, et cetera. Like we've got people like professional interests or like 
They're like what they do for a living goes out the flipping window. People, as I mentioned before, people change on a flipping dime. People grow and they change. That's coalition building. That's accepting all comers, regardless of their politics. Like, regardless. Like, you know, like, you know, Republicans, Democrats. It makes no, it's no difference. Like, there's none. People, people radicalize. If everyone's attempting to, like, Politics is like, like, is like the last refuge of scoundrels, right? But it's another description for like, politics is like, a, it's a disassociative disorder. That's what politics is. People disassociate. Like someone disassociates, they're not in their own body anymore, okay? And you're not in your own body. So like, you like, so someone gets like blown up halfway across the world. When people start talking about policy and still like looking at that person blown up, you want you know these days you can be on both sides of the war and just go in. You'll see people's cell phone footage. It's all over the place. Okay, and you may not know be able to tell like what you're looking at. Da da da. da. Very quickly goes into like policy politics. And it comes back to like how you're responding, like your level of like empathy like your capacity to like have a heart, like that's where it starts. And like, you know, let's say voting your conscience. Okay. But that doesn't have to necessarily be with politics, but writ large people can disassociate around any topic. It's like a, it's a disorder. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you like, here's, here's my thing. Don't let yourself be hacked. Okay. If, if politics has become more important to you than relationships, if you're kicking people out of your life, if you're kicking family members out, if you're having fights and you haven't talked with your mom or your dad or any, any one of your siblings in the last one, two, or three years, you've been hacked. Okay? Stop that. Knock it off. Recess. Just, like, take a breather. Okay? That is a problem. You write it, and if it's writ large, it is like it's it's a it's a um, it's it's a it's a mass psychosis. You could say it is it is it's a group of people engaged in a disassociative disorder. Why do you think that is? On your just with all your wisdom, your you know your years of being on this plane. You know, I, I really want to pick your brain on this. And I've been wanting to ask the word like, yo, what's your what's your take on like what's happening in the world? Like, why is it that we have these systems in place that that intentionally dissociate, intentionally divide and conquer? Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of like, OK, if I was like, you know, one of the richest people in the world, you know, one, I would I would. Yeah, I, I can see why the system is created the way it is to have, you know, magazines and news people saying, oh, these are the really wealthy people of the world. Like these are the richest people in the world, not us, not our families or not, you know, and it's like I try to like get into it, but it's like I, I'm like I'm wasting my time trying to figure out why it is the way it is. Why don't I just ask somebody who I feel has a better grasp on you know, at least a different grasp, you know, just so I can take some type of insight from it. Like this, the floor is yours. Yeah. So isn't that a puzzle, right? <laughs> and like, like I was saying before, I like, I may never understand it, but at least I can navigate it. Right. So what's the field look like? 
you like I was at the um whatever you the M, uh, MTV or division or the DMV the, I was at the division of motor vehicles standing in line with my number <laughs> just waiting and then because like I was starting to get a little toe tapping like <laughs> impatient right like okay let's dial that back a bit so I'm like okay come back right ceremony forever it's like come back to the present moment so I look around and I'm like look at these people they built they built this they built the MDV they put down the flooring you know they put up the those little those little cubicles they actually built this whole thing they built the roads like all these people like they built the city they they, they put the uh, the chili peppers down at the at uh, my local food co-op down the supermarket they were at Safeway like they put food in my flipping mouth, okay. Regardless of their political views, right? They built the whole flipping thing, the apparatus. These people are my life. These people, like everybody, is in service to each other. They built the escalators, okay. They built the roofs. Like, like they're like they transport. They like move. They like caretake. They like they like raise kids. They teach. They like these pe- these people are my flipping life. Like I owe, like I, this is my life. That I could not survive without these people. Nobody knows how to even make a flipping pencil. Where is the Where is the guy that knows how to make a pencil? Does he know how to make that paint? Does he know how to mine that uh, mine the, uh, the graphite? Mm-hmm. Does Does he know how to make that rubber pencil? No, he does not exist. Like the pencil man does not exist. <laughs> You get, he's like, oh, I got a pencil guy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. I know I a guy. <laughs> I got two, I'll raise, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'll raise you two Sharpies. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so maybe the pencil guy, maybe you, you like invite him or maybe he's like made it his life's work to travel around the world so that he can actually make a homemade pencil, homegrown the whole thing. Okay. But I like that. No, it's about, it's the navigating piece. Because really, yeah, that's all we really can do, right, is navigate. We can navigate, and then and you're navigating a field. So there's your field, right? These people, like, they're not, they're, like, these are, these are our people, all right? You look around, these are our people. Right? And, like, and so you can treat them in that fashion. They're your life, all right? You break down the road, so it's going to help you, all right? Like, they're, like, they're supporting them. And as best I can, I'd like to return the favor. You know, the thing about like, and one way to return that, like, I find it such a pleasure not to be convinced of anything. I'm hanging out with people and they're trying to convince me. That feels good. I don't want to like run my life not tr- trying to convince anybody of anything. It's it's pleasurable, right? You can like talk about where you're coming from, what your values are, what you care about, right? But if you're not trying to convince me, you're not pressuring anyone to like. Con- to like believe a certain way, it feels good. And, you know, so I'm trying to return the favor. And so you go about, you can navigate that field with, with people. You can like build coalitions. You, you can like, you can grow relationships. Like that is a mindset. Why shouldn't that be contagious? Like that's like, it's right in front of us. So you, you talk about like billionaires, billionaire ain't shit. Okay, like there are like you have small cities on billions collectively. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like a, the billion, like you take a look at the biggest home, Bill Gates' home, whatever. It's 
it's smaller than some hotel down over in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. It's got fewer rooms, the rest of it. Have you ever been in a, like a private Learjet or like a small? They're tinny and shitty. The really nice ones are the big ones where everyone like, like tucks in, you know, a, their ticket and then they, they fly in a big, luxurious, you know, airplane and head off to Peru. But like the private, the private Learjet, well, it's maybe it's, it's kind of convenient, but it's like kind of small and confining. Like that's like, you want to like be rich because what? Because like you, you believe the 007 movie? Mm-hmm. Like what? <laughs> Like, you know, like, like, don't disassociate, stay present, you know? And it's like, and if you are just, it's okay, it's all right, you know? Like, no harm, no foul, you learn from that. And we're all students of struggle and surrender. And then you come back to the, the, the present moment. You know, there are people who, leave, you know, whether it doesn't, I'm, I'm not interested in having people come through ceremony who have a shit ton of money want to like it means nothing we got a little church we've got with people attending their own healing and and they and they and they give for uh in exchange and it's fair right that feels right that's organic and it's just it grows in an organic fashion and that takes each one of us out there into that field we're all in service to each other and all you're doing is just recognizing that and so the big guys, big guys out there, you like you don't own Jack. You like you're in control of nothing, okay? Like your world is crumbling and you're panicking. All right, that's not for us to panic about. That's their world that's going down, okay? You know, if something's classified and it's in the press, that it's classified, that's your classification. Keep that's, it. That's not mine. <laughs> My classification, my, my right is to know. My First Amendment right is to know. Okay? My First Amendment right is to practice my religion. That's my right. And I'm going to continue. Right? It's not grant, that right is not granted by the big boys. Right? That's just, that's inherent. Yeah. yeah it's one of the reasons, I'll drop this card, it's one of the reasons we're suing the DEA. Yeah. Want to hear more about that? We're coming <laughs> for you. Happen. That's doing a lot of good work, dude. I love it, man. Suing the DEA. So, can you talk more about that? Um, yeah. So that uh, a few years ago, um, our attorney Charles Carrion came to me. He's like, so we were we were looking at doing the application process. The DA has laid out an exemption process for uh, for churches, and that 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 was a result of two landmark cases. One went to the Supreme Court, another went to federal court on the West Coast, and uh, but they both won. Two ayahuasca churches. One was Una de Vegetal. So Jeffrey Bronfman, who's heir to the Seagram's fortune, took his case all the way to Supreme Court, and he won. Not long after that, uh, Jonathan Goldman. Uh, took his case, his his church was raided, and uh, he took his case to uh, to federal court, and he won. So the DA had to reassess, and they set up an exemption process for ayahuasca churches. So key questions. 
So you had to answer the question. So, and then if once they approved you, then you were you're official and you get the stamp and you could import and, um, and you could operate wholly legally. Right? So there was this kind of gray area where both these were the Supreme Court and the federal court, um, both uh, in, um, uh, in these two cases, both affirmed the right of, of, of ayahuasca churches to practice with their sacrament as their religious um, uh, prerogative and their, um, as, as their conscience would dictate. So the problem with that exemption process, Charles took a look at it, he's like, it's got a few problems. One, they've never issued an exemption. And two, if you apply, you give up your, your right to, uh, to self-incrimination and so they can come back at you because it's essentially a full confessional. Um, you've, uh, you, and uh, it will require administrative exhaustion. It means that you don't really have the right to appeal. They're just, they'll make their determination, and then it's all about what the DEA says. Um, They've never given one exemption under that? None the, the 14, 15 years, some odd. Wow. So, so it's a fraud. You yeah. can apply, but we'll never grant it. It the they don't have. Uh, so, Joel said, "I think we should sue them." And the first words out of my mouth were, actually, just one word: balls. <laughs> I'm like, Charles, are you? I'm like, D- don't don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's just that no one ever sues the DEA. I mean, who in their right mind would do that? I get. I need a little time, if you don't mind. Let's let's give this one a day or two, okay? I need to sleep on this one. <laughs> and so we did because we had to. There was like they left no, no choice. We're little church, small congregation. We have our practice. It's quite clear. Uh, we we tied like long traditions. And what choice do we have? Are are you the first ones to do it? No, we're not. Okay. Actually, we we were, um, uh, but th- there's another church by the name of Soul Quest. They took a different tack. They actually applied, and they, um, and then when the the DEA didn't respond, they sued. Say, hey, you need to make a determination. Well, guess what happened? The DEA did respond, and they said, "Nope." Okay. So what? What was different? How, what was well, different the, well, how the difference is that they they applied through the exemption process, the DEA's exemption process, and our claim is that the DEA's exemption process is a fraud. It's fraud in the court. It's a lie. Mm. Like they're, they 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 don't issue exemptions. They don't have the authority to do it. They know they don't have the authority to do it. They've created this um, scheme mm-hmm. to to keep ayahuasca churches from practicing. Why? I don't know, but they don't have any theologians. You know? <laughs> they don't have anybody like, um, you know, like someone in the DA is like, God damn it, find me that gentleman. We need him. You know, the one who's versed in comparative world religions. I want to, <laughs> you know, like, he's not, they don't, 
that he doesn't exist at the DEA. He's like the guy who makes pencils. Yeah. Okay. And maybe he maybe that's the guy who makes pencils, and he's in you know compared to he's okay. He must know the muffin man. He's a busy guy. <laughs> <laughs> so wait. So do you think that their their uh, intention is to really like is is to protect people? Is it is is it to keep them safe to like you know is it is it is the are these some of the foundational ideas as to why they uh you know they have a ban on DMT and like you know some of these other substances that you know they've heavily uh experimented with you know in their own ways we don't need to talk about any of them but why is it that they 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 go through these lengths to keep these medicines plants whatever away from it's it's hard to say and you know the, the dea is essentially split they've got they have their their two sides they have or them on one side you have um money guns and lawyers so they've got on the other side they still Did you say money guns and and lawyers lawyers okay that's what they're that's what they got they got money gun, and and with them and they have some administrators but that the administrator, a lot of the administrators on the other side, are the bean counters. So when Jeffrey Bronfman, uh, after he won his case, the DA would come by to count his medicine, make sure that there was no diversion. They're just bean counting. He's like, I've got a great relationship with them, nice guys. They're okay. And and but that's the other side of it. Once you're on the other side, then they treat you like a client. Then they treat you like a pharmaceutical firm. Then they treat mm-hmm. you like, like any of their other. They, you get you get a, a website. You get a login. You get credentials. You know, it's like it's a you, so and that's uh, for the most part on the secular side. They treat their their pharmaceutical clients well, but what is like the set and secular institution doing regulating a religion? What they have like no basis. They don't even. There's no like constitutional authority, nothing for doing so. Why, why are they attempting like to regulate in the areas? Is kind of like, you know, they because they because they can because they can kind of like Bill Gates being in charge of figuring out what's healthy for us. You could say right. You know, <laughs> so they, they've got the mic. You know, uh, they've they've got the like like Gates. They you know they've got the platform, or maybe you know there's. There's institutional inertia, or the, maybe there's CYA. You know, you've got you, people are like just taking care of their own interests. The problem is that they end up, uh, it, if the individuals, um, to a large extent, can abdicate their own personal responsibility in what they're doing. And so they don't seem like they don't take a good, close look. They can't engage their own conscience in examining what they're doing. Like they want to make people safe. That would be a good idea, and they should take a look at what ayahuasca churches are doing because they're like they're getting people off drugs is what they're doing. They're like helping people engage and engage and improve their lives, or keeping people out of flipping prison. They're like people are like growing, becoming stronger. Like you know, if you know from one standpoint, at the very most superficial surface level, you've got like better citizens, okay, fewer traffic accidents. You know, you know, they get people like, you know, fewer fewer calls to, um, uh, you know, you know, bad relationships are are like are better. You know, uh, it's, 
uh, and then in a far deeper level, ways that the DA would never understand. Like they have people have a raison d'être. They have they have a reason for 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 living a life to be proud of. That's not given to them by the state. It's given to them by their own connection with divinity. And there has never been a more like profound cleft between God's creation and man's creation. Like this juncture in time. Look at it. Like look at like what how like technology is like populating around the globe. And then being abused by people who are like of little conscience for like our empathy for for the little guy. Meanwhile, you have you know, almost like you, you have you know stories that get populated in which the more the you know the moral of the story is the little guy is the threat. Just look around, see how often you see that 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 little uh, conclusion. The little guy is the threat. Well, you bet the little guy is the threat because the government is the enemy, is proving itself again and again to be the enemy of the people, all right? Unfortunately, yeah, and, and like individuals can take a, sang- a, a sanguine, balanced, calm perspective in ensuring that justice is meted out. Like, that's what we've attempted to do in this lawsuit, all right? Like, not to get angry, these are our rights, right? So you can take a balanced, clear-headed view of maintaining our, our rights and so that people can like, can heal, they can connect with God. You've got this cleft between God's creation and man's creation, all right? And, the, and, and the DEA has sided to say, like, this group that wants to side with, like, plant-based healing these plant-based plant-based medicines like these spiritual these focusing on a spiritual the spiritual side of healing like uh, my friend Joe Tefer Dr. Joe Tefer his tagline is a healing practice is a spiritual practice and a spiritual practice is a healing practice you can't really divorce yourself from that my own personal evolution when it comes to religion, like, religion's a dirty word, you know? Like, I never imagined myself to be engaged in a religious practice or be a part, like, or to start a church, actually, you know? And then I had to, like, and then once I started working with ayahuasca, I had to come to, like, a comp- I had a different evolution. I had to come to a different view. And what I saw was a, a spiritual practice, an organized spiritual practice by definition is religion. There's no way around it. And if you and if you want to say to yourself, hey, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not religious, then you're going to abdicate all of those rights to the big boys. And they get like, huh, you can be spiritual but not religious? Like you can't like stand in denial. If your if your spiritual practice is organized. If you're engaged in people with people with a, a common value, if like if you're seeking to like make this a better world, uh, it's okay to be engaged in religious practice. It's all right. 
It's all, it's all right if your religious practice just doesn't happen to be hypocritical. It's all right if it's not top-down. It's all right if it actually makes sense for your life. It's okay. <laughs> that doesn't... It can be... You can engage in your spiritual practice, and it can be religious practice at the same time. Yeah. So, the, you know, those have been like... That's all of that's wedged in this lawsuit with the DEA, like, and it perplexes them. You should see them in the in the depositions, trying to like explain how their understanding of religion. They don't have a flipping clue. They have no authority to even understand it. They're just baffled by the notion of a religious practice involving a sacrament. They don't even understand what a religious practice is. Mm-hmm. Like they can't understand, they can't speak to it professionally. It is they are cross-eyed and befuddled and beside themselves in questioning under deposition in some of the some of these other cases. And it's it's kind of funny, kind of comic, slightly tragic, to hear them attempt to like to 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 classify. And so what they're doing is what they're attempting to do is is explain why it's not uh, like a normal practice. Is that what they're doing? Because it, it that it seems a little odd to me because in, in Christianity or Christianity or Catholicism, you know, they're they've got the wine, you know, and the bread up in front, you know, kids that are, you know, six, seven, eight drinking wine during their, you know, after they get their first Holy Communion kind of thing. Like, I'm just like, how does it all make sense? How, how is it that they're able to, you know, make the rules? Their, their question is one of sincerity. They're like, they're, they're not sincere. And how do they, how does the secular institution make a determination on sincerity? They don't have any, <laughs> they don't have any experts. So Jonathan Goldman, who, his, was the director of the Santa Dame Church that took his case to the federal court and won. He looks at our church. He said, "You know what? I'll write you a declaration." He's like, We've been, "I've been like working with him for years. I've done it for quite some time, and like kept him up to date on our on our court case. He knows what we're, we're all about." He's like, "I'll write you a declaration because I can I can see you're sincere. I can see your church is sincere." Uh, I like understand what you're doing. You use the same medicine that we do. We're both, we're, your church and our church, we're both drinking ayahuasca. And so he writes this in the declaration to tell the deed. And, and his church has been approved, right, by the courts. Like, mm-hmm. So if there's an expert on sincerity, Jonathan Goldman is as good as you're going to find. Uh, when it, and so now... Like the DEA is up against it. They're like, they don't have you know the authority, they don't have the experts, they don't have the people, they don't know how to make a determination, sincerity. They don't like the constitution itself, the First Amendment, you know, uh, uh, says you know, Congress can't uh the, the uh, uh establish a uh can you know, like either approve or um, deny the free practice of religion. I mean, the reason for that is, you know, you'd end up, you know, so Massachusetts is like, can't be just Catholic and New York, just Protestant. Uh, that's the basic idea. So that, that, that power is denied Congress. It's also, de- it's denied the states and it's, it's denied, 
it's denied the DEA. So what are they doing? And uh, they're they're um, they're out in the they're essentially gone rogue. Mm-hmm. So someone had to call them on it. All right, hit it. Power structure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you're wondering whether these power structures that are in place, whether they're ever going to uh, uh, change? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Well, and specifically, you've mentioned in your lifetime, because everything, it's definitely all yeah. going to change eventually. I feel like, you know, I feel like you've seen some changes. Well, the speed at which change is happening right now is phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, so, but if you, if you go I mean, there was a time not too long ago where basically no one got graduated from college. Uh, there, there was no college. Okay, that you don't have to go back very far for that. And you can like, uh, you go back a few hundred years. Uh, you had, uh, and then there was a time where like, uh, there was like mathematics training, like engineering. Like there was a time like, there is. Uh, there was this sort of breakthrough in which education like, uh, like spilled out of, across the globe. Uh, and uh, so, you know, here we are. But literacy rates have, like, climbed to the roof. Now, you go back probably something like 20 years ago, um, maybe 25 years ago, the literacy rate in a place like Egypt was like 2%. And now it's more like 80%, wow. roughly speaking. Um, so you have like literacy rates around the globe are skyrocketing. Not only that, literacy rates isn't just about being able to read. It's having something to read. Now you get the net. People got a lot to read. You want to know how to build just about anything? You can go to YouTube, you know? And, and build it. You know, that what's happening after? People build stuff. But all over the globe, you want the, the coolest stuff that's being built and assembled? Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, at some baseline level, like people, like know-how is spilling out across the globe. Uh, you know, it used to be that you could have, you could hold a perfectly good secret for about a thousand years or longer. Now you can hold a perfectly good secret for about 10 or 15 seconds. Like things like spill out so flipping quick. Not only, so since you can't hold a secret, what do you do? You cover it with disinformation. Like, and, and so then you have, you have these, you have these disinformation wars and like, and which isn't, disinformation isn't necessarily a lie. It's just more information than you need in areas that, um, aren't germane to uh, um, something that might be, in terms of like global affairs, really important. So if you so you can cover things with crisis, you can cover stuff with like extra um, <laughs> unnecessary uh, jargon. Uh, you, know, you take a look at the uh, the figures for uh, viewer figures for CNN versus viewing figures for, like, Joe Rogan. It is like Joe Rogan outstrips CNN by, like, 10 to 1 or more. 
on any on any given day with this podcast. Uh, what does that tell you? People are jumping off of mainstream media uh, at a at a phenomenal rate, which means their ad revenue is going down, uh, and it, which means increasingly they have less control. Why is that? Because you can only trade off trust for agenda so many times. You only can trade off like being honest and head back to that honesty thing versus pushing an agenda for so long. You like it is essential for any government to maintain control over if it what's a good way of putting this? When uh, when the U.S. first went into Panama under uh, uh, under George Bush Senior for the canal, uh, yeah, uh, for the for the canal. So we went it we during uh, in order to push out Noriega. Mm-hmm. We went to war down there. The first thing we take care of or take control of uh, TV and radio stations. That was in the old days. That's the first thing you ever took control <laughs> oh, of was the TV shit. and radio stations. Look at the kind of look at the look at the broadcasting power we have right here. Yeah, it's just in the simple broadcast, just as the simple podcast here. It is like it can go, it can go global, it can go anywhere it wants to, and like at 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 the drop of you think things have changed. Things have changed in our lifetime as like as we speak. We've like hit the hockey stick. Things, you know. I think you can say what you want about Ray Kurzweil, but. The, you know, his book, The Singularity, is near, but he's like taking a look at this rate of exponential growth going from really before the Gutenberg Bible, but let's say starting with the Gutenberg Bible, the rate of, uh, of change. And you, see, you know, if you're just talking about uh, any information system, you go from publishing to like supercomputers, it hits a, we're on an exponential curve. Um, and currently, Moore's law dictates that uh, computers are doubling speed every eighteen months. Every year and a half, they double. People don't know how it works. It's just happening. It's a law. It started as a law because it was a joke. It involved like economic factors, social factors, development factors of all types. And yet, and and for decades, they've been saying we hit the limit. There's no way to go. Oh, double eighteen months. It's not going <laughs> to go. 18, it just doubles. And so now we've hit this point at which human beings have got to keep pace with the very thing that they've created. Like never before has the cleft between like God's creation and man's creation been so pronounced. Like we're at that, like that, like we were talking about at the very beginning, the, this, this body we have is a temple. It's inexplicable. It's a, it defies like uh, wholly uh, any like all-encompassing rational understanding. Mm-hmm. There is, ra- you know, like you can understand the structural side of it, the reason, but you're not going to ex- understand, like you're not going to unfold the mystery of what it is to have a spirit within the temple. Right? And like, in, you know, maybe the DEA wants to tell you, maybe institutions want to tell you exactly what that's all about mm-hmm. and who is going to be lit in charge of, like, how that is meted out. I think those days are gone. Those days are fl- are flipping over. They should have ended a long time ago. They're on their way out. 
But I look at something like the Catholic Church, and like, there it's like in our lifetime. Never thought that would happen. You're seeing it implode. Mm-hmm. Like they're hemorrhaging money. Like, huh? Like, you know, I. You know, I, we could go down that rabbit hole. But if you don't want to talk about like big, long-standing institutions, there is an example of one. I, I was my my mom comes from a Mennonite background, so she's raised Mennonite in the little Mennonite Amish community. As a result, I was raised Mennonite. She moved out of the community, but whether I knew it or not, I was raised Mennonite. What's it called? Say it one more time. Mennonite. Mennonite. So, so the the Mennonites are just like Amish. Okay, okay. Except that the Mennonites can drive cars and wear buttons. And they don't have to wear black. Oh, uh, okay. okay. They, 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 the Mennonites look like you and me. Okay. I made the association. As soon as you said Amish, I'm like, oh, okay, so it's something like an Amish. Exactly. Thing. Same. Uh, they're just devout. Okay. okay. So the, and the thing about the Mennonites is that they were kicked around Europe. Why? Because they were pacifists. Why? Because they didn't want to do baptism. Why didn't they want to do baptism? That's an interesting one. And it wasn't just because of dogma. It was a very practical reason. Because the Catholic Church would, like, have a baptism for the, for the baby and sprinkle some water on them at, at, uh, when they're less than a week old. And then, 18 years later, they could come and collect the young men because they knew where they lived. They used as draft rolls. Back in an era... When people stayed put. Wow. So, so they, and then they could, they could fund, and then people would tithe. And this is one of the things that Martin Luther got upset about. It's like, oh, here's, here they, here's the Catholic Church selling special dispensations. You could buy your way into heaven back in the day, according, you know, according to the church, according to this, this big institution. And you, all you had to do is give some extra money, and then they'd say some prayers for you, and you'd be in heaven, guaranteed. And as crazy as it sounds, people laid down their entire estates. They went to the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church was making bank. What did they use that money for? To give loans. What were the loans for? War. Machiavelli asked the question. It's like, how is it that the Catholic Church is able to maintain power and they don't have an army? It did. They had the draft rolls. They could supply the young men, and they could supply the money for endless war, which is exactly what they did. You know? The Catholic Church has been split for a long time between the message, like a genuine message, like a genuine heartfelt message, uh, and institutional control and endless war. And the message was, was allowed to continue because a, a heartfelt, genuine message was allowed to continue because it also served the purpose of allowing mothers to feel okay about sacrificing their young man at war. Because after all, if God could sacrifice his only begotten son, mm-hmm. you can, can too. You can too. <laughs> and to think about that oh. is heartbreaking. And, and that eventually became institutionalized to get the Battle of Verdun in World War One, a million men died in one flipping battle. You're like, and that it's like if you think about that, it's utterly flipping and insane. And and so you know, it's no wonder people lost completely lost their minds after World War One. And of course, World War One didn't really end; it just flipped into World War Two. 
you know, you end up with these institutions, you end up with endless war. Right? And like, and so now we're at this kind of like, we're, we're at this, inf- another inflection point, it would seem. And I'd like, you know, you can see quite clearly there is a spiritual battle. There's like, <laughs> and it boils down to navigating it for the individual. Calm the mind, like stay present with like how you're responding, like recognize and be honest when you're triggered so that you can navigate the field and recognize that the people around you are putting food in your mouth, they're keeping you alive, right? Like honor and respect the people around you and set political divisions aside. But those, like don't let yourself be hacked. Don't let you know, like pull those fingers out of, out of your out of your nose. Don't get pulled around by guilt and shame and the t- and, and and the chatty mind. Right? Build coalitions. Talk with people that you would otherwise learn to talk with and practice talking with people that you would otherwise not be able to talk to. You know. You know, I'm not I'm not a big proponent, for instance, of the vaccine, the current vaccine. Preach. Okay. So like you know, throw that dirty word out there. Okay. Why I'm a kind of a plant-based guy. And on top of that, I've had COVID. I had it. So I've got natural immunity. So, like, what do you do with a guy like me? Right? I've got natural immunity. And the more time that goes on, it says, well, natural immunity seems to seems to work. In fact, it's gets like shows better efficacy than than uh, uh, synthetic immunity. Like there's that cleft again. Synthetic immunity, natural immunity. Mm-hmm. Like never has that like that wedge been more pronounced than God's creation and man's creation. Like man's creation versus stick this in you versus you'll get better or plant based medicine. Right. You know? And there's integrative medicine too. I mean there are like there's plenty of middle ground here. You don't have to have tilt, but like then there is an issue that's become politicized. So I stand on one side of that issue. Big deal. At, and at first, my like my heart started like it would sink when I heard people getting the vaccine. Because that's something I needed to, con- to contend with personally. And then I started to talk with people like, "Hey, like you know, um, just for instance, I like just got back from Peru. Oh, did you have to like get vaccinated? And, like, no, they like they test you. And, like, you know, but it turns out I, I've got the vaccine. I mean, I've got I had COVID. I, um, they're like, oh yeah, you had COVID. Well, I." Do you get the, have you been back from now? Like, well, I have. I was like, why'd you do it? Why'd you get back? And so we have a conversation about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and what are some of your responses, if you don't mind me asking? Some people are, some, sometimes people say, oh, I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm young, I'm in my 20s. I just want to be able to, like, go out clubbing. I just want to be able to travel. Mm-hmm. I just want to be able to, I say, like, I know it's superficial, but that's what I want. Okay. You know? And I was talking with a guy on a, on a lift ride, and he was like, uh, he's like, um, you know, the people, he, I got in, I said, hey, should I wear a mask? And he's like, thanks for asking. Yes, thank you, thank you for wearing a mask. Because sometimes these people, they come in, they don't wear masks, and I tell you what, I mean, they're really causing a lot of problems, and, and these people, <laughs> they're making you know, make other people sick, and I don't really... I like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's going off, right? And I'm like... He's like, you know, I'm like, I had COVID. He's like, you had it? I'm like, yeah. I, I, I'm like, and it's like, I'm like it, um, 
He's like, well, I got the vaccine. I'm like, oh yeah. And like, why'd you get it? He's like, he's like, well, I, you know, I've, I've worked in the hospital. I saw some stuff. You know, like it's pretty scary. He's like, yeah. We didn't go there. We didn't go, like get into like some of the stuff he saw. But he has reasons for doing that. Yeah. And I'm like, and he's he's like, did you? I'm like, well, I've like I've I've had it. Like, what do you do with a guy like me? Right. I'm like I've got natural means. So well, we don't know how long that's gonna last. We still don't know how it's going to last with the vaccine. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that's where we're at, right? But it looks like uh, natural immunity's got the jump on on synthetic immunity. And so we had this conversation. And by the end of it, like, he's like, well, you know, it's not one size fits all. Medicine's not one size fits all. You know, it doesn't, like, one solution isn't going to fit for everyone. That was like 180 degrees away from where he started. Mm-hmm. But we just had a conversation. Like I didn't need to convince him of nothing, right? That was like, that was I wasn't even I wasn't trying to hack him, you know. In as much as I was just like having a conversation with the guy, mm-hmm. so it, to a certain extent I was. I was trying to hack minds, right? But I was like, I by virtue of the fact, and I was, and I was, he ended up like coming to a different place. But I wasn't trying to convince him, you know. Like the way to like hack that, it's it's not a process of like turning the dial to the left twice and then turning it to the right and like finding the right combination. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's kind of manipulative. But if you like listen to someone, you feel them out, and you see where they're coming from, and you're honestly listening, they're going to show you a path to like being sincere. Uh, How do you feel about the uh, the signs that we drive across, and you know what? What about wanting to join the other five million plus America, uh, you know, Arizonans that have been, or how about telling us how many doses they've given the uh, you know the Arizona people? I mean, it's, it kind of hurts to see that, you know, and then time will tell because you know that there's when it comes to uh, you know the Food and Drug Administration had it has a long if we, if we want to go there, you know, if you've ever heard of something called, have you ever heard of something called thalidomide? Mm-mm. So once upon a time, there was this new, fantastic sounding wonder drug back in the late 50s, early 60s. Say it one more time. Thalidomide. Thalidomide? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and thalidomide was so fantastic that they were testing it. Back in the day, they didn't really have a lot of FDA regulations, so they could just test on the fly, right? I want to see like how cool it was, so they were testing it on, on pregnant women, and they found it was really good for uh, morning sickness. And so they were, and they're doing a fast rollout. Back then, you could like you could, if you found a new wonder drug, months you could roll, yeah. roll it out. So they started rolling it out in Europe, and they were they were trying to push rollout in in the U.S. And there was one researcher, there was one woman who looked at that and she said, whoa, 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 there's some problems here. She started looking at the data. She didn't like it. And she started slowing it down. It was one woman. She started slowing down that process. And as she slowed it down the U.S., babies started to be born in Europe. Europe. And they're being born without arms and legs. <gasps> you go back, you go on the net, you can see those pictures today. It's flipping horrifying. And as a result of, of thalidomide, it, FDA set new procedures. The, out, the public outcry was so enormous that they established uh, key requirements and benchmarks for research. So 
unfortunately, a lot of that research wasn't done in this case. They skipped it. A lot of that, and that research is essential in terms of the long term and the efficacy of something. And so, to and what I've known was from what I've seen about bandwagons is that for some people, they've never seen a bandwagon they didn't like. I see a bandwagon. <laughs> I'm like, I support the thing. <laughs> I support the new thing. Yeah, yeah. I see that meme all over the place right now. <laughs> yeah, I support the thing. Yeah, you know, support our things. Okay, yeah. Okay, so if you take a look at, remember all those support our troops bumper stickers? Mm-hmm. I define you, go ahead and look around today. You Find me a support our troops. We're still in, what was it, nine or 11 wars we're in right now. Mm-hmm. I, go ahead today. Try to find that support our troops bumper sticker. You can, you go all day without seeing one. You can go all week without seeing one. And what that means to me is that people had to go out one at a time and they had to peel off the bumper stickers. Well, no, you got to peel off the other bumper sticker and that one's behind. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> right now it's Ukraine or whatever, you know. That's right. Yeah. You know, you get these you get these bump you get these bandwagons and people jump on board and here's one and the, what's the thing with the bandwagon my my cousin uh uh, Annie in, in North Carolina, they, um, her family had a, uh, little convenience store. She said in the, during the second Gulf war, when they um, they sent troops over, everyone like patriotic, they're going to do our duty and I go over. People were thrilled. Then young men started coming back dead. So they, uh, they had their funerals, and they, they gave them full honors, and they buried them. And people were, like, respectful and, and determined to fight further. She said, and then over time, that started to change. And then the young men started to come back, kind of screwed up. Couldn't tell. They were screwed up. You just couldn't see it first. And then, then they saw, like, just how, like, messed up things were. And then people started to get angry. And then people started to get like saddened, and then people like were incapacitated, and then families were blown up, basically just you know demolished, um, imploded because of the pain, the suffering, the grief, uh, and it like really hit their community pretty hard. She saw it firsthand, and of course, so did a lot of other people. Uh, there's a bandwagon for you. And what is it? It's regret. People talk about vaccine hesitancy. I'll tell you, vaccine remorse is real. It's a real thing. So we're on like a, there may be a bandwagon today and people starting to slip off that bandwagon. They're like, huh, this vaccine doesn't seem to work. Like the countries with the the highest vaccination rate also have the highest rate of COVID. Like, how does that work exactly? You know, how does that so people are like coming off the bandwagon. So and hopefully, cross our fingers, there are no long-term repercussions. Uh, but one of the one of the reasons, like like you know, Moderna's uh, you know Moderna's earlier forays that with uh, FDA studies uh, resulted in their failure to produce a single successful uh, 
FDA study that went all the way through the human trials. They never made it to human trials. They all it, they always um, they always fell apart. Why is that? And that doesn't make it to human trials because it's too risky to try on human beings. Uh, and so instead, they got a, a emergency authority, and and here we are today. Not like so. Not everyone agrees with that viewpoint, but I've talked with plenty of people in uh, in medicine. And, you know, plenty of experts, and there are plenty of people out there. I've got my own set of, like, credentialed experts. And anyone with, with a mind can go out on the net and see them, or you can talk to them personally. They have an entirely different view than the, uh, you might call it, hospital administer, administrator types. You know, you get the hospital, you know, versus doctors. A lot of good doctors out there. And the doctors say one thing, and the hospital administrators say another. So you take a look at a guy like Robert F. Kennedy, with plenty of other people like disagree with. But Robert Kennedy had you should have seen his podcast. It's it's he's been deplatformed, and maybe after you know, maybe after this conversation, you'll be deplatformed too. <laughs> yeah, you can thank me later. We got solutions. For you. <laughs> yeah, man, we're we're looping around all the loops, but you know, it's a uh, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I heard the other day uh, someone got banned from Twitter because they said there's only two sexes, you know, like the, the right now censorship and like pushing certain narratives is like, wow. But the thing I observe is the same thing as you is that like individuals though are at an all time awareness level. Like it's just, you just got to turn off the TV and, you know, pay attention to where you're getting information from. Yeah, that's right, and and then for the people that you disagree with, it's it's all right, you know, it's it's okay, to like yeah. disagree, you know, and and you're gonna see some like, uh, a, some like some bizarre, um, kind of funny stuff that goes on. It happens on like all sides of the, the political spectrum, uh, but then in the meantime, like not allowing yourself to be hacked, right? to like to, you know, I think the message overall needs to be unity. Yeah. That's like, that is the most subversive message out there. Unity. And, you know, like, you do it when you don't defriend somebody because they uh, disagreed with you on Facebook. I was talking with this woman who was a director of the Compassion Studies at the U of A and the, the Compassion Studies program. I'm like... I didn't even know they studied compassion over at the University of Arizona, mm -hmm. let alone have like a department of compassion studies, but they do. And so she she had uh, the chance to, to chat, and uh, she's uh, it was it was back uh, during the uh, Senate confirmation hearings for the latest Supreme Court justice, and it was. Uh, uh, you know, the discussion was <coughs> became um, politicized about um, uh, things he'd done in college. And she's like, you know, I can understand why people are triggered by that. I can understand why I might even be triggered by that. She said, but I have to also look at how that affects my relationships with the people I care about. Or is it 
it's that political discussion affecting mm-hmm. how I relate to people I care about. And then she immediately started talking about her dad, how difficult he was, and like he comes from a different generation, and he's like 92 years old. He wants to hop in the car and drive around, you know. And it's like he just can't do that anymore, and like how he's, you know, she's been up against this her whole life, and and yet coming to like a, a balanced view with like. I love my dad. I want to take care of him. I need to tend to his interests. I can't cut him out of my life. And I, I can't allow, like, political discussions to, like, interfere with that. I'd like to maintain my my own sense of inner composure. Not by ratcheting it down, but by being honest. That happens again and again. Each individual can address that. Each individual. You may not be able to understand, like, the, the scope of the the social order or like the scope of like like the ineffable like mystery of life. But in the moment, you know, like sitting across the table from someone, you can navigate it. You can navigate you know, like your own life, your own heart, your own situation, and you can navigate it rightly. Right in the moment. It's do it's very doable, right? And so when the bandwagon comes along You'll be like, you can take a closer look at that. And maybe people are going to disagree with you now. But then on the long-term view, and like, it's a bandwagon. People always jump off the bandwagon. Every bandwagon always, it always hits the curb. Yeah. Every time. You know? And so then you're there and you're ready to catch people when they jump off. You know? Yeah. Just staying in that place of love and the, the discussion because people you know what you were saying earlier about um, you know like the conversation with the Lyft driver you know that's I've learned that it's like you're never going to tell somebody anything anyways so it's like just listen be open be honest be loving and you'll be able to come to some sort of consensus you'll be, able, you'll be closer together than you were the more we practice that uh that's all we can do as individuals right is just take each interaction one by one and make the best of it and stay true to ourselves i like Drink it some cacao true <laughs> don't be hacked you know i love i love uh some of the themes uh you know that you've introduced uh to the to today's um you know podcast because they can be transformative if one really takes seriously some of these, uh, some of these teachings, uh, you know, in, in their own present moments. But, you know, I feel like there's also like another side to it is to not be so serious, to not take things so, you know, so intensely, um, you know, and to enjoy life and and what it has to offer as you move along with it. Um, But, you know, but, stay uh stay stay not necessarily vigilant but stay you know keep yourself alert you know be mentally alert be aware um and i love that piece about uh ensuring to in uh put your intention and your love at the cross section of the perception and the you know awareness so um you know, I've I've taken back some lovely things uh, in today's conversation. Uh, I'm not sure if you want to take it any you know any other direction, or if there's anything else you want to cover um, in regards to like 
the war or anything like that. But um, I feel like there's a lot of great teachings that we've already taken from from what we've talked about today people hear from me enough as it is I'm yeah like, i'm like you know, I'm, it's funny too because i'm like, like dang this is one of the first times nate then hasn't really talked that much and yeah. we're like setting the stage for um for our speakers well it's you know like i have my own views on what's happening you know whether it's the vaccine or covid or the like i have my own views but at the end of the day the thing i'm hearing the thing that i have to remind myself is it doesn't matter what my story is doesn't matter it comes down to those little interactions and what i can do as an individual what i can do in my community and no matter what someone else believes, I want to remain open to them and allow them to express themselves. Cause that thing, whatever, however incorrect or misinformed, I believe it might be, it's valid. It's, yeah, it's their it's reality. Another human it's being. their truth. And, yeah. and my goal is to connect and, you know, and to be in a community and feel more connected and loving. It's not to, you know, to divide. That's the exact, that's in my view, that's the, the thing that, I'm fighting against this division, you know, the politicizing of everything, you know, and it's at the end of the day, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the story is or who did what or what, you know, conspiracy theories are true or which, you know, aren't, it's like, it's, um, what can I do on a individual basis to, uh, leave a space better than I, you know, than you came in. Yeah. yeah better, no. you know, how, that makes how, sense, man, because you're, you're talking about how, um, you know, how essentially it's like you're, you're fighting against division and separation, but really you're doing the opposite. You're really just supporting and putting love and intention into unity and into connectedness and right. to, and into coming together. And, uh, it's, it's making me think about, um, other, other instances where, you know, it's like, it's okay. You know, it, it, it's all coming together when we're sitting here listening to somebody who has a differing view from us. Right. And it's okay to just sit and, and not get riled up with what they're saying, but to be there, be present and intentionally listen to what they're saying, because it's another human being sitting across from you, giving you and expressing themselves for how they truly feel inside. Are they being, you know, it's like, and we can sense that honest, genuine uh, feeling about them. Right. But it's like learning, you know, ourselves and being able to like not react to like what this person's saying and listen uh, you know, intentionally, but hear really what they're saying so that you can, you can say, Oh, okay, that's, that's interesting. I never thought about it that way. Or I'm never, you know, it's like coming to that common ground and realizing that the person sitting across from you is you as well. Yeah. We're all in it together. True say unity like that. Um, and, uh, such a gift to have you here, Scott. Thank you. Thanks, Nate. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Christian. Thank you. And um, love and peace, man. We <laughs> shade to light. That's how we do it. And uh, you got it. This is a great show. This is this has been really fun. I, I <laughs> really enjoyed it. So it's a total pleasure to be here, you, <laughs> you guys. So yeah. it's it's I appreciate it, hearing that. You know, I sometimes I I kind of think I'd be like be. I'd like to just sort of carry around a recorder for the conversations with people. Like you've seen the people in our community. It's just like, and particularly after ceremony, people can be really eloquent, you know? 
was going to say, I have a little mobile recorder that I got for us to do our thing. And like, if anybody's interested in doing, you know, sharing, we could do videos, any kind of like, cause I, I, I love that space. I mean, that's like some of the best conversations. Like, yeah. Cause you're so clear. Like, you know, the, the, the brain is so quiet at that point. So things feel so honest and clear. Yeah. I think if there was ever a way to sort of record without sort of disturbing people in that, like so that they know that they're recording if they could sort yeah. of forget they are that's the trick um and so that's like that little disturbance is totally minor yeah um that's um y- you know were that were that possible i would i would love to do it you know yeah. but this is one of those conversations luckily enough that it's actually recorded so yeah hey the <laughs> seed is being planted already and i can see how it will be I, nourished here in the field I, i'm already i've already got visions i'm like oh okay so maybe we can you know so, talk you know talk to people before they go into ceremony do a minor you know talks during and then after and see what they're you know just see the transformation in people and yeah, that's just my mind that's where my mind goes i'm like oh okay okay but well you know we'll we'll let we'll let time tell and um uh, I think Shade Delight is ready to elevate to the next level. <laughs> so, uh, again, we love you all. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed our message, our guests, and uh, our souls here being expressed on today's episode. So, thank love you. and peace. Thank you. All. Thank you. <laughs>